Hi, welcome to the Ankler Hot Seat Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler, uh, stepping in for Janice today. Janice, we hope you feel better. Uh, joining us, of course, Richard Rushfield from LA. Hello, Richard. Hi there. And we have Tatiana Siegel. Tatiana, where are you? I am in Rhode Island. Hi, Sean. <laughs> oh, we're representing today. All right. Yes. And back on the pod, uh, Rob Long for our esteemed, uh, the esteemed Martini Shop podcast. And Rob, I assume you are LA uh, as well as, as Richard. No, I'm in New York. I'm a, I'm oh. a New Yorker now. That's what you, I want oh, to say. Oh, you are. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. two New York, one LA, and one one New England. We'll, we'll put you in Tatiana. Um, yeah. New York remember- adjacent. Right. New York adjacent, exactly. We're all in our, in our coastal bubbles. <laughs> we are fully insulated. Yeah. Uh, please remember to hit subscribe or follow the podcast on your podcast listening platform of choice. And uh, please like or subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. And if uh, you want to subscribe to The Ankler, we encourage you to do so at theankler.com to get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts. And finally, of course, follow us on the socials at The Ankler. Um, so this week, uh, got a lot going on, a lot going on today. Uh, some two big, uh, announcements, uh, David Nevins, who is the head of content for Paramount plus and Showtime long held uh, television executive is leaving at the end of the year. Um, that just announced today, uh, with some curious plans from, uh, Bob Backish in his email to people. Showtime Networks is going to Chris McCarthy, who is the cable networks guy. Showtime OTT is going to the Pluto and streaming business guy. Uh, it's Tom Ryan, who I guess is now the head of Paramount Plus, more or less. And uh, BET, a cable network, is not going to the cable network guy, but rather to the CBS guy, and that would be George Cheeks. Uh, he's also going to oversee Paramount Television, the production division. Uh, George also oversees uh, CBS Studios already, so... I don't know who's leading Paramount Plus content. Does anybody have it? Am I missing something here? <laughs> <laughs> As in, who's the head of a streaming service that you know is uh, the future of the company? Or am I, am I, did I miss something in this kind of uh, announcement? No, you missed nothing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Richard, well, I mean, Rob, no, who do you I pitch mean, a show to? I don't know. Well, that's that's a good good question. I mean, you know, um, here's how old I am. I I, uh, <laughs> I went to college with George Cheeks. And I remember when David Nevins was a current programming executive at NBC. And I've worked with David before. David is really, really, really smart and one of the great executives. So it is, I mean, for me, just personally, as somebody who's on the sell side, it's too bad. Like, yes, he was great. And he, you know, he would listen to stuff and then he would ask you pertinent questions based on what he had listened to. And then when he said, I have a couple of thoughts about the script, because he had read it, which is... (laughs) You know, hey, good friend, right? How, um, how, how rare is that in a meeting? Has read the rare. script and asked questions responding yeah. to what you said. And sometimes he would say something like, You probably don't have an answer to this. You probably shouldn't have an answer to this. But have you thought about this? And then if you said, No, God, I hadn't thought about that. That's really interesting. Um, you go, Yeah, I don't know. I just had, had that's just something I thought about. And then it, it was rare. Like he was, these were, we usually call these creative meetings and they're not creative, but they were, they were with David. So I, I'm, um, I'm I'm hoping that he lands somewhere that is interested in doing programming with such as myself because I you know like him a lot. Um, and I just think Paramount's got to sort itself out and sort out what Paramount. I think a lot of these companies have to figure out what their streaming service is, and that is probably going to be what is the sort of first among equals there among the sort of kitchen cabinet yeah. that Bakish has put together. George Cheek's a really smart executive, yes, very smart lawyer, basically kind of a business affairs guy for a long time. Um, and that will be, you know, Brian Robbins is there, and Brian Robbins it's is a pretty strong guy. Films, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he he has a really deep bench. I mean, people kind of, 
it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I, a year ago we were kind of like, oh, Paramount rolling your eyes, but it, he really, it really looked, these are real decision makers and, and people who make big bets. And I don't know. Sounds, sounds, sounds like a, it sounds like a team to me. I mean, I think maybe the BET thing just to be super crass, not a crass, but you know, George Sheiks is African-American and there aren't any there. Like, so I don't know who they would pick uh, at, at, a, at a certain level stature to run that network. Um, that that is a problem that Paramount and and I know that Richard has talked about for a lot of people, a lot of companies, um, yeah. media companies. That there does seem to be a very thin mm. bench for diversity there. <laughs> Into yeah, non-existent. Could... The, isn't isn't a lot of the problem though um, with that that all these companies are going to, through is that you're you have a. A, a conglomerate that was built uh, for a different a different shaped business, um, and in the case of Paramount, you have two conglomerates that were built for different shaped <laughs> right. business that have been squashed <laughs> yeah. together, well and, separated, and then back, squashed back together. <laughs> yeah, and now while you're still sailing them um, with all the usual factions and strife and 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 everything else in a in a conglomerate with a lot of different divisions, you're having to figure out how to turn this cruise ship into a uh into some sort of yacht it's very yeah, very true and 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 certainly this may only be a temporary thing and obviously showtime and paramount plus have already taken steps to kind of become together and that will probably be you know more steps than that in the future so this could certainly be more of a temporary here's what we're doing you know and david still has you know they're basically another three months in the job he's not leaving right away um so you know more to come here but it just was uh, you know just a question of if Paramount Plus is greenlighting a show, I don't know who's giving that green light right now. So that was really the kind of, you know, out of all this news. So, uh, but David's certainly a, a long respected executive. And I'm, I'm very curious to see where, where he goes. Uh, obviously, he'd be very highly in demand and one of the few people who have done the job at a lot of places, which is not uh, a long list. Right. Uh, so we'll see on that. And then the other big news today or big ish news was Netflix is sort of going theatrical uh, with Knives Out 2 or as they keep reminding me to call it a uh, glass onion and knives out mystery, um, which is going to go into 600 theaters on November 23rd for one week only uh, in the U S it'll be across all three major uh, theater chains, but only in 600 theaters. Um, the movie comes out on Netflix, uh, I believe December 16th or something, whatever that weekend is in December. Uh, so a three month lead time, we'll see how much marketing money they advertise that November 23rd date with, I guess is the, the larger question, but they're the largest theatrical play that Netflix has done so far. Um, uh, sort of surprising, but I don't know, Tatiana, any, any reaction on your end? Uh, you know, it reminds me the 600 figure reminds me of that sort of was the wheelhouse of the Weinstein company and how they yep. would release a film. So, um, it's n- it, it won't move the needle like box office wise, but it will, it could move the needle in terms of word of mouth. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really fun movie. I remember Richard, you loved it up in Toronto. Why not? Uh, oh, right. yeah, they, you've like, seen it. That's right. Ryan Johnson, they, they, they have a great formula for basically updating Agatha Christie stories to a, con- a contemporary way. And, you know they can make one of these a year for till the end of time. There, it's a it's a pretty basic. <laughs> the uh, yeah. the knives out cinematic universe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much. Uh, yeah. Look, two things to think about Netflix is they say emphatically at the beginning of their business, like we are not <laughs> right. going to sell advertising, 
And oh, the that, second thing yeah. is they say, and we are not that. going to release movies into the theaters. That's not exactly. our thing. And of yeah, course, how quickly within... that all changes. So, yeah, right, right. Careful. Well, lately, uh, I mean, the public has been getting a glimpse of the internal battle there. Scott Stuber, the the film chief, has been has been fairly uh, public and quoted quoted in stories set, saying that he, he thinks there should be a theatrical strategy. And um, we, we mm-hmm. found out about past attempts to uh, for for Netflix to launch a theatrical strategy. And it, you know, so people we were saying if they're ever going to get into this, and you know, this is a time where they're looking for other revenue streams, where they've they've now also produced in the past uh, five years, what, about about 6,000 movies of whom only, <laughs> right. of, of right, which right. people can remember the names of only three. So they uh, uh, there, there's an awareness of people there that a theatrical campaign can actually build the value of your property. Um, and and people, people have been saying that if, if they're ever going to dip their toe into a real theatrical release... They don't have a better opportunity than than this, which is a sequel to a movie that made over a hundred million dollars just a couple of years ago. Right. Also, there's got to be some old line show business executives, you know, sitting, you know, in his slippers at the Brentwood Country Mart, looking at this, you know, in the trades and thinking, "Oh, genius! Putting a mis- uh, a crowd pleasing mystery on at Thanksgiving to last all <laughs> the way into Christmas for people when they're home and bored and they want to go to the movies." Like, uh, I guess they invent Netflix invented a brand new thing. I can I can hear the sarcasm now. This is like, yeah, th- right. A movie studio should relate release crowd pleasing murder mysteries in the holidays when multi generational people go to the movies. This is something that if you're looking at a movie to see and you've got a big family that's going to go see it. Like, like <laughs> Netflix is once again reinvented show business by taking the very very <laughs> long way around. <laughs> exactly, and uh, just to include, this is only a one-week release, so making it uh, you have to go yeah, the one right. week if you want to see it, or you wait <laughs> two weeks and watch it on Netflix. You know these caveats. It's you know at this point, just do it. I don't know what this. Uh, you know that's my only thing on this is why six hundred theaters. You know clearly all three are on board. They need the product at this point. I don't know that they're going to stand on that old moral ground of we don't carry Netflix movies anymore. You know we got one. The second biggest chain is bankrupt. Like they're not going to give you any problems. Uh, you know. As a one-week event, I don't, to Tatiana's point, like how much money are you going to make off of this? It's 600 theaters. Even if you did 20,000 a screen or whatever, the number is not going to be a leading number. Uh, and to Rob's point, you can own Thanksgiving is not. They have Strange Strange World, the Disney animated film with Jake Gyllenhaal. The Fablemans goes wide, and we'll see what the wide appeal of you know of that movie is. But I, you know the, the quality is there certainly, but there isn't that big crowd pleasing popcorn movie for Thanksgiving weekend that they could own with this film. Knives Out came out on Thanksgiving weekend, the original movie. So why they're doing six hundred theaters? And and just one week, like and that's just one a, week. I, it's yeah, like just any what's, word what's, of mouth is is basically a promotion for the streaming. I guess and, right, which is I don't. It's a little. It sounds like an internal debate. It's going to be <laughs> yes, solved a week later. Exactly. A week after the release, where someone's going to walk in on Monday morning and say, "See, yep, I told you." This one is exa- yeah. one interesting true. thing about this is though that we'll, we'll see how this plays. I, I thought it was a very fun movie. I like I like the Knives Out universe, so I'm I'm into it. this. This is pretty much a prototypical COVID movie. Like they go to an island, and there's about eight people on the island, and then the host announces he sent all the servants away, so there will be no extras on this island. Also, just eight <laughs> people together on an island right. for 
for an entire movie. So yeah. it's, it's uh, the perfect COVID uh, shoot there. Right. <laughs> right. Safety version. Yeah, exactly. Which, by um, the way, I'm not yeah. sure people like that because remember that Malcolm and Marie and like, they were like just the two of them. No people the, around. Yeah. Like it, 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 I think that people were so isolated during COVID that they enjoy seeing people in huge crowds and that kind of thing. <laughs> It worked for the White Lotus, right? I don't know. Either way, I guess. uh, Yeah, both both were COVID shoots, but um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see the the next chapter in the streaming uh, history will be written on Thanksgiving weekend. So we will see what the and to Rob's point. It'll probably be, it sounds like a compromise that was just for that reason, yeah. Rob, where it's like somebody wanted to prove a point, and this was the compromise that they reached to like, okay, we'll do one week, six hundred theaters. You know, three weeks out, yeah. and we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, for um, for them to do more than this. The, the the big obstacle is that the people that is that is that Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos would have to admit that they were wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> that their 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 plan that you didn't need theatrical that Ted Sarandos said movies are movies and in the end it's just you sitting in the dark seeing them. Right. You could see maybe Scott being on the other side of this, maybe Richard to your point, and you know, again, maybe this was the compromise that, that they came to, you know. Uh who knows? But of note also, uh this has not been official yet, but Netflix is rumored to launch their ad tier in November. Uh, maybe this coincides with the Knives Out law. You know, well, that's actually in December. This when it's on Netflix, but the the ad tier for Netflix is rumored to launch in, in November. It's three weeks away, so I don't know that that's date's going to hold. But that was the uh, the rumor for a while. Um, so that could be a, a role in this as well. Uh, come December, maybe it's a, De- a December date of a rollout with Knives Out. But uh, all this to say, you know. Yet another change, evolution of a release strategy, a release platform, a payment platform, and tying to Richard, your piece this week on uh, the WGA. So got a lot of response. Why don't, why don't you walk us through where we're at uh, and the impending, the large, long conversation we have ahead in the, in the months ahead here? Well, wait, wait. Uh, first, I'll, I'll, I'll say we have an actual WGA member here, so yes. I, I, uh, so he can correct uh, everything I, I think. <laughs> yeah, right. Because WGA members as are the, famous uh, detail guys. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, but we are now. What is it? Uh, about about eight months away from the 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 uh, WGA contract ending, and there is a uh, huge sentiment um, for for action, for strike, and for. Uh, for, for a walkout, the, the WGA is emboldened after what they see as a victory, a, a stunning victory, uh, com- to- total defeat of the agents and their, their, their stand down with the agenting world over packaging. Um, and they are, there are many people that are sort of unhappy uh, for, for lots of good reasons with the, the shape of the streaming world and what it, what it is like to try to uh, create a, writing career in, in the streaming world with very short seasons and, uh, and shows lasting, you know, a, a season and a half before, before the world uh, loses interest and moves on to the next thing. Um, but, and so, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of momentum and a lot, and, and there's also a, a huge cohort of young writers that got their first job in the streaming world in the last few, few years. And then, so we're sort of given entree to to their Hollywood dreams, and then found that their second job may have been, you know, a year, two years in coming, or or not at all, and um, are are 
incensed about that and 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 ready for action. The problem is, it's not it's not quite clear what the the the, the this world is kind of a mess, and it's 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 not clear how it's going to work out. But it's not clear what in this contract negotiation can can fix that. And there's a lot of things that are being talked talked about that that may help or may not. But but sort of have the feel of piecemeal band aids on on a, on a larger issue here. Rob, yeah. did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's, there's, um, you know, there's always, there's always the villain is always the studio. The studios are always the villains, right? Studios and networks, yeah. the buyers are always the villains, and in, in all these things, except most recently they were the agents, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it, the the big war was always going to be between the writers and whatever the business models are that exist now, and the um, the only allies the writers have were the agents who were profit participants in their success. Um, the, so the first thing the writers guild did was like, shoot my allies. I got to shoot those guys first before I go to war. So they alienated the one, the, the, the powerful go betweens they had. Um, and now they, now they really, I mean, the, the, I think Richard identified the problem. The problem isn't really the business model of the streamers. It's that the problem is the audience. The audience doesn't really experience or seem to want to experience television the way they used to. So that you just got to pay people differently. The, the, the writers guild, you know, continually strikes for um what is essentially a time machine which is what they want if i could only build a time machine and go back and change the way this deal was written if i could only go back and build a time machine and go back and you know we always say kill hitler like <laughs> kill the guy who invented the browser right mark andreessen like just whatever like you you right. you the, the world we live in is the world we live in and what the writers guild in my opinion should be doing is demanding um, an environment where the realities of show business today are sustainable by writers, meaning um, better healthcare, maybe more generous if it is pretty generous, but like better better point system so that you can you can make it through the five years you might have to make it when you're not um, getting paid. Um, better pension system, maybe a mid tier pension, maybe idea of a, of a sabbatical fund where you can, if you need to take five years to transition out of writing, you know, if, if writing is going to be one of these like pro athlete kind of type careers where it's you have a very very short career you gotta There's like not plan many for that. over 45 uh writers in kind of like there aren't many 45 and older quarterbacks <laughs> well, in the nfl there there are a lot of 45 they are they are pissed and if they and they are the ones usually is their young writers if if if, if they turn out to strike you know the, the, the argument we always made as writers was like why am I not working? Because some other writers who aren't working found it very easy to strike, right? If you weren't working, striking, walking around a studio with a picket, is like, well, gives me some shape to my day. Otherwise, I was just sitting around getting mad. Um, those writers are now, there are more of those writers, and some of them are older, and they've been guild members for a long time, and they're mad about a lot of things. Uh, none of those things are going to be solved by a strike. Um, what, do you, what do you think about one of the, one of the big... Uh solutions or band-aids being uh, bandied about amongst the, the board members is the idea that writers should get paid for pitches that you should be paid for for, for the work you do uh, when you make a pitch it's kind of i think it's a pretty good start by the way um and there's so many issues that you know i think it's not even a time machine like you just mentioned rob i think that there are actually issues that now are facing writers that um face the, they were there before but the studios did the right thing for example i heard from a wga member a longtime wga member Rich Tellerico. He's uh, somebody who worked on Key and Peel and, you know, Mad TV, Saturday Night Live, blah, blah, blah. He mentioned something that I 
to me that I did not ever think of, but he said, currently Viacom and other companies are violating our contract. Viacom keeps uploading, quote, promo clips well over the five-minute mark, including endless compilations that repackage and repurpose the material in 20, 30, 40-minute clips, and now eight, 10, 12-hour streams that remain watchable forever. So this flagrant abuse of the promotional exception of the contract is in full swing. They are only supposed to upload a handful of clips at five minutes or less, but it's not only Viacom ignoring the five minute rule, they're all doing this. So, you know, that's like one of these like little things that, but it, it's a, it's a big deal. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that it's, it's when, when, when writers would complain about residuals, if you got everything you wanted, you still would be screwed. If you are a, um, uh, a sketch writer for Key and Peel or something, and they do pay you some weird schedule fee for promotional stuff or from you know uploading two sketches two sketches to TikTok, you still can't live on that. You're not. You're, it's not sustainable. It's not a career. It's like like residuals would never make would never let you pay your mortgage because you never know what they're going to be. You can't plan on residuals. If you're getting residuals or your your shows being uploaded in promotion, yeah, you can get a little more gravy out of it but you're not paying your mortgage you're not paying your rent you're not paying your whatever your college tuition you're just not paying it it's not enough um the little marginal changes i mean they, you know paying for pitches i mean here's what happens when you charge people to pitch they take fewer pitches mm. is that what you want writers you want the studios the networks to think tw- to think twice or three don't they kind of do it anyways sometimes no their job is to listen to pitches they'll they'll if they know you and they like you they'll hear what you have to say you always want to pitch to more people because two people, you know, one, and we always say one is none. One person is not a buyer. You need two people interested, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the uh, sort of it's it's a it's a it's an unwillingness on the part of the writers' guild. And I think the writers in general to actually confront the way the sh- way show business is today, and what is what it's going to take to be have an actual living li- lifelong or somewhat remunerative career over decades in this business. And the nibbling around the edges is like, yeah, you can go to you can strike for, for residuals and you'll get residuals on something, or maybe they'll, re- they'll, they'll pay you a little bit of extra if they go over the limit for promo sketches, you know, uploading uh, good luck paying for your car. But yeah, th- it's, these penny, are, it's pennies on the dollar. It's this not is not worth be, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, you know, uh, reading your column, Richard, that was, you know, you, you outlined a few things there about, but like, what's a win? Like what, you know, what is, what are you striking for to get? residuals you know streamers don't pay them right rob i might but i'm understanding that right that's it's your buyout right that's it for a streamer show yeah right? buyout but even if you get them i mean i mean like, like you can't you, you that is the gravy that you're making out of the gravy <laughs> that, that that's a residuals as a show you've already been paid it's already been paid for and now it's in it's in rerun somewhere right you know if you're if you're worried about residuals i mean it's nice to get them and they're and they're right to, and i deserve them and i'm glad i would go get, get them i do not i cannot predict them I can't right. plan my life around them. Right. And that market's gone. Syndication yeah. is not an increasing business. Uh, you know, I even, you know, it's a model that's based off of a, a business that doesn't exist anymore. It's, you exactly. know, network TV. Fox has three nights a week of scripted television. Uh, NBC has zero comedies on the schedule, which is probably, you know, Friends is still getting billions a year. ER right. reruns are not getting any money. It's like, the you know, syndication outside of 
crime dramas, but outside of that, you know, genre, there's not a lot of syndication money in drama, but it's all in comedy and nobody's doing network comedy anymore. And all the cable networks are getting out of scripted comedy central. They did pieces, you know, the Hollywood reported this week, you know, Trevor Noah's leaving. They don't do, they've animated series and development. They do not have any more sketch comedy. Even Amy Schumer's thing is going to Paramount plus it's a buy, you know, so right. That's done. The Turner networks are done with scripted television. The only people doing scripted and cable are really AMC and FX and half of FX's schedule is on Hulu. So, you know, this it's changed so much that like, okay, there's no more the residuals and the syndication deals of selling onto cable like this. This isn't a growth model. The the new model is streaming. So like I to Rob, like my question for you would be, I guess, is the main ask would be raise our rates for what we get paid for a right. stream. Is that, is that, is that, am I being naive on that? Or no, that, I think I that know. that's really the only way to do it. I think, if the, I think of it in sort of three big, you know, three big buckets of fantasy moving from the, <laughs> the, the crucial to the outside, right? The, the, inside right. the fantasy bucket, which we really, the writers can achieve is higher minimums on everything, major minimums on everything and much, much shorter leash on options and have the option fee tied to, the minimum. Okay. So instead of having option fees just be a separate thing that's like, well, I'll pay you extra. No, it should be a, a function of the budget of the show, a function of what you've been paid, a function of what um, the, the minimums are. So higher minimums. Um, residuals are kind of like, I mean, who cares, right? Really? But at that point, it's not really that important. As you go move out the bucket, you're trying to, you're, what you're going to ask the, the, the buyers to do is to fund the idea of being a writer, right? Actually invest back in the seed corn. So how do I get somebody who has, who's 20 526 and has really successful, you know, 10 episode, 15 episode career as a staff writer. How do I get that person to be able to like be have a career in the future and plan a life and live somewhere and have children if they want to have the children, auto right? scholarships for for everyone? Love yeah, that. I mean, that's, I, I would think of more the academic model, like like you you have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of points put into the writer's guild as a working writer that proves you're viable in the marketplace. Then you have a sabbatical fund, you have a, a, a education fund, you have a spec fund, you have something like that, which the writer's guild could impose on its members so that it kind of encourages you to keep thinking. Um, and then on the bigger idea, the bigger idea is really figuring out um you know, there's a disconnect here because the successful people in television are writers. Like, there's the people making decisions. They're you know, people enforcing certain work rules. So you go to the studio and you say, hey, the writers shouldn't be have to work in these conditions. And the studio's like, okay, fine. Tell your members that. We don't, we don't run these shows. Writers run these shows. I mean, I tried to say this before to people in the writer's guild. It's like, I, you know, I'm no Shonda Rhimes, but I can tell you I have made more deals with writers than I've had made for me as a writer, because I've had, you know, a certain number of small, a certain number of term deals as a writer made for me by my agent. But I basically, every time I have a show on, I have to hire 12 writers and I have to make deals for 12 writers. So this, this doesn't scale. So I am an audience and I am somebody that the Writers Guild should be turning a lot of their attention to. And that would be the third level, I would say, is like, what are the writers going to do for each other? So we have these gigantic deals out for these huge showrunner deals, which are you know, perfectly legitimate, but now what are those people kicking back into the system to so that their young staff writer can stay a young staff writer for a whole year and not have to, you know, yeah. live out of his car? Uh, yeah, this is a universe those... that none of us grew up in, so it's brand new, right. but it's definitely the universe that, that, that people live in now. 
And I mean, this is this is the effect of any every industry the the tech world right. enters into. That, that <laughs> yeah, that the 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 uh, the star players at the top uh, suck up a big a, a bigger portion of the fun, and then and and everyone else becomes uh, sort of uh, by the hour contract workers, paid paid by the pound. Yeah, right. And these in the staffs, you know, are not you're not doing a 15 person room anymore. You right. know, you're writing or 10 episodes room. of the show. You're writing yeah. eight episodes. You're not writing 22 episodes or even 13 episodes anymore. You know, so the nature of this work has changed, and it's just the realities happen. But I guess the thing that would you know, like a lot of things you mentioned, Robert, very much to me sounded very much internal to the WGA or yes. to the writers themselves. So the studios, at your point about the the rooms, like studios, like. We don't do this, you know. Yeah. So if you want to change it, go right ahead. We don't care as long as the product comes out. A strike would be, you know, a disagreement with the student, the people they're negotiating with. And I don't know what that straw is, because Richard, you put out in your piece, you know, yeah. residuals and streaming numbers of like getting paid per stream or something. You know, they're not getting that information. That's never, you know, that's that's never going to be a, a negotiating tactic. So in lieu of that. You know, a percentage of a of a hit on streaming that would be the way you can get paid more money. The more traditional syndication model of a hit or, or ratings points, which you're not going to get. Uh, I, that's the, my question. Is you know, I, I don't know what the answer is here, but it's again, it's like higher minimums, like 110. Like that makes sense to me. Yeah, bigger paychecks, right. so you can they'll last you longer because right. you're not writing 20 episodes anymore. You're writing 10, or you know, so we, whatever that. So Richard, go ahead. Yeah, well, if we could just pivot uh, slightly from what what should happen to what will happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, even better. Right? <laughs> because, uh, Any other the, fun you want to kill? Yeah. yeah. Well, no. You've got you've you've got these uh, you've got these young people all all riled up and and angry. You've got the the guild feeling like uh, it's coming off this great success with 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 the agents. Um, and the the fact of the matter is, every time the guild has gone to a vote over 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 board elections or or strike authorizations, the the most uh, the most strident faction and the most strident position has won, not just by a little, but by like 80, 90 percent in every right. every election. So that not a lot of cause for uh, hope that 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 cooler heads will prevail on a middle approachably found in a difficult situation. Mm. Well, the governor on that has always been that, hey, I'm on a show. It's I got 22 episodes. I'm a co-producer, whatever it is. Um, I need to make that money. I want to make that. I have a show on the air or something. I'm working. Mm. If working writers have now been defined down to being a writer who had a, you know, a 10 episode, you know, staff job on a Hulu show that nobody saw or a Netflix show that maybe wasn't it hasn't even been dropped yet. Then you, you lose your like. What what's the difference between that and marching around a studio? There's not that much difference. I'm, they already have a second job, so it's not like you know they're going to give anything up. And that uh, I guess what I would say is that the, the this this will only be solved. And I know it's sort of pie in the sky when um, uh, we stop comparing the business that is now to a mythical business that existed that we're going to go back to. And, and also until we start learning that the benefits of the business now, right? I mean, by any measure, TV's better, has more diversity behind the camera and in front of the camera. There are more choices for the customer than ever before. Um, you know, people talk about what's on TV now, like they're talking about, uh, you know, I don't know the Bloomsbury group, you know, like the famous novelist walking around, like, that is a sign of a business that is kind of a kaleidoscopic, chaotic mess, but also something where a lot of great things happen that didn't happen before. So 
a big business, this is what it creates. And um, and until we accept the fact that we're in a very big, very different, very chaotic business that will never go back to the way it was when we had three networks, um, all the solutions will be fails. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it on that note on that, Rob. Very good. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and pivot over to the box office, which is the other kind of uh, another hot topic of conversation this week. We have uh, uh, a movie making some headlines that is not Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which looks lovely and got some nice reviews this week, certainly. Um, but the other movie in wide release this weekend is Amsterdam, uh, which is an reportedly $80 million movie from uh, Mr. David O. Russell <laughs> of director who has not made a put a fat of film in theaters in uh, seven years. And a guy, that's the guy who was making one film a year from about 2010 to 2015. Uh, a lot of headlines this week, Tatiana. Um, it's got an A-list cast. We have uh, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, Rami, Ma- uh, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, Taylor Swift. And I haven't seen anybody doing any press on this, uh, nor have I seen anything from David O. Russell at this point. Uh, one person, Except Christian Bale. And Christian we did have Bale. one person from the cast, Christian Bale, uh, who had a GQ cover story doing some press. And uh, why don't you fill us in on, on what's going on there? Yeah. So Christian Bale told GQ that he had to, quote, mediate tensions between David O. Russell and Amy Adams on the set of American Hustle. And, you know, it raised a lot of questions about what exactly were the problems on set. And certainly David O. Russell has been at least accused of acting inappropriately on sets for decades. Um, I can pull up this paragraph from a New York Times story written back in 2004, which illustrates the point. Um, The actors look tired as he has throughout the shoot. Mr. Russell is touching them a lot and sometimes in private places. (laughs) Like, I can't even believe it. Um, At one point, Mr. Wahlberg grabs the director's megaphone, shouting, this man just grabbed my genitals. It is my first man-on-man contact. Um, At other times, the director whispers in the actress's ears, lewdly, they later say, before a take. So far, the actors have been remarkably tolerant of Mr. Russell's mischief. I mean... uh, Uh, That's from a New York Times piece in 2004, yeah. Yeah, it kind of shows you how much times have changed. But, um, you know, this is uh, this would not be considered uh, even I don't care how many Oscar nominations you have produced via your actors and actresses. Like, is this is this okay? And, um, you know, the Three Kings. Remember Three Kings? Sure. George George Clooney Clooney famously. uh, Yeah. A famous uh, fight between him and David O. Russell, which was over the fact that David O. Russell was allegedly, um, uh, it was in altercations with crew members and extras, including like an elderly extra that, um, you know, if you you, uh, believe what has transpired or has floated out into the ether about that interaction, like it's horrible. So, um, you know, uh, but, but yes, uh, Christian Bale definitely seemed to open up a new can of worms about what David O. Russell does on his sets. Yeah. And he's, you know, worked with him. He's, you know, the guy who came back, you know, uh, certainly worked on those films in the early 2010s. And, you know, he's the only actor of that group who's back for this, you know, for this new movie, certainly. So 
Right. Um, Mark Wahlberg, I think they 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 fell uh, out um, I, after, <laughs> after his genitals were grabbed. I, I based I on know. that quote alone, I, I can't say I blame <laughs> By the him, way, that, that paragraph was uh, from I Heart Huckabees. Uh, yes, so, that movie, yeah, which also had the famous <laughs> Lily Tomlin uh, video clip come out uh, way back uh, as yes. well. Yes. Yeah, so I guess, you know, David has no other films on the horizon at this point. He's been three time nominated for an, for an Oscar for best director. Um, you know, it's a, I, I don't know that it, you know, joy did his last film was 2015. It did a hundred million dollars worldwide, 56 million us, you know, the numbers on the tracking on Amsterdam is about 10 million, uh, for an $80 million movie. You know, uh, I don't know either. The genre isn't being made anymore. I don't know that he's going to be, you know, is, is anybody going to assign him, give him another check for a studio movie anymore? I don't, I, I just don't see how that even happens. Right. Well, I think actors and actresses will keep working with him because he okay. produces, um, but I do not see anybody paying, giving him $80 million to do it. Uh, and, and right. maybe last studio movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will see how that transpires this weekend. Um, and otherwise, so, you know, otherwise, you know, the box office is still where it is. Uh, Black Adam is tracking at 70 million. The Great Savior uh, Halloween comes out in a couple of weeks. Um, last one did about 50 million on opening. So we're waiting for the, you know, the box office news to turn, I think. Um, but I'm curious. I, this kind of thought came into my head today where, and I'm being optimistic, but uh, certainly, uh, Dr. Fauci was out in the public again talking about the reaction to COVID and things like that. And, you know, just uh, the winter's around the corner here. And, uh, and what happens if the numbers start going back? You know, we've had two winters where they've been bad and the box offices, you know, last December was a disaster. We had a great November. Uh, Thanksgiving was great. And then Omicron happened in December and the box office business of one of them is already bankrupt. Riga AMC is already uh, hitting another up patch here. You know, I guess, is, is there a cloud on the... You have, um, Avatar 2 in December, you have Black Panther in November. This is what's going to save the movie business. Um, is what happens otherwise, I guess. I don't know if there's an answer to it, but uh, nobody's talking about this. And I'm curious if there's any other, like, if I'm the only just kind of guy in the, can I, in the, in the weirdo in the corner on this, or Richard, am I alone on this? Well, wait, hold think? on. What, oh. what did Dr. Fauci say? Did he say COVID is back on? Like, well, he I mentioned just whatever. that the winter's coming and we don't know what's going to happen with the numbers is essentially his point. That of like, sounds like, hey, a, guys. like an ad for um, Game of Thrones, like winter's coming. Well, winter but... is coming. I, yeah. I, I, I would, I would be very surprised if, if the theaters are just cleared out at this point, I think right, rightfully or wrong uh, or wrongly, the, the, the world has, has, has largely turned, turned the page from this and is not, uh, even if there was a thing you'd think we're okay. All right. I mean, every, every, Every every person I know has got has got had it now has been through it as 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 yeah. right most two hundred plus million infections and yeah, yeah. and uh, you know there I I don't think there's many people who say yeah I had a bad week but to avoid that I'm gonna shut myself up the perspective shut myself changed up on up it. in my family in our houses for two months again so yeah I, yeah I don't Good. see okay. right right rightfully or wrongly uh, I don't see that happening awesome. All right, we'll go on to uh, Lord of the Rings, Tatiana and Rob. Rob Juice, are you a Lord of the Rings, uh, Game of Thrones guy? Where, where are you? Uh, where are you? I have to say that I am not. I just can't get past the nerd problem that started for me in middle school when I thought, you know what, you can you go down this road, and nothing good happens. 
you know, you start start getting into Lord of the Rings, then it's Dungeons and Dragons, and before you know it, you spend a lot of lonely Friday nights. So I I can't say that I'm uh, I'm a fan, although um, I was a huge fan of the of the um, of of the early Game of Thrones because I just I love the politics of it. I just thought it was great, you know. Um, and so I I have to recuse myself. Are, are you <laughs> Wait, watching? Do you not like the later seasons? Uh, when the dragons come in, it's like dragons really dragons now. Like I liked it better when it's just people struggling and chopping each other's heads off. And then when it became magic dragons, I'm like, I'm out. out. Oh, Richard, you've been watching? Yeah, the new the new dragon show is is almost all uh, politics. It's it's very. I mean, they there's one scene in every uh, episode where they go fly on dragons for for three Mm -hmm. minutes. But uh, besides that, it's just a, a family arguing with each other. <laughs> but with dragons, it's the alternate title, I think, Richard, for the series. Exactly. Um, but uh, Tatiana, you noted something definitely. Uh, so the, the Nielsen numbers finally came out. Nielsen numbers for streaming come out about a month after the show's uh, actually premiere. Uh, and you know, the number 1.2 billion minutes streamed for Lord of the <laughs> for Lord of the Rings. And you noticed a curious trend in the the coverage this week as well ra- around town. Yes. So what I noticed is there's definitely some narrative shaping on this one afoot. Uh, you have Jen Salky on the cover of Variety this week, taking what appears to be a victory lap um, while the showrunners are on the cover of The Hollywood Reporter. And I think it's noteworthy because based strictly on critical reception and Rob's uh, own uh, <laughs> review of this show, this is not a hit by any objective measure. Uh, at least considering the capital outlay and then never mind the viewership numbers. So it, it's just odd to me that it's sort of being crowned this, you know, this moment when is it a moment? Is this something that anyone should be really kind of taking a victory lap about? Yeah, it's an interesting stance, you know, and the, the caveat with the numbers came out with, with Nielsen, you know, they kind of do some math to kind of make any semblance of what 1.2 billion minutes uh, streamed means. And, you know, it's a bigger than Game of Thrones. If you discount linear, I'm like, oh, yeah, those old fashioned linear ratings. Those. <laughs> they literally put that in the coverage. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, oh, if you take off the linear TV, we're winning. I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's an interesting tactic. Is that where we are in the streaming wars? This is so sad. I don't. But it's sort of the same as when you should say it was the biggest non-holiday weekend, non-weekend, <laughs> right. uh, five-week um... month opening on that Thursday night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in Brooklyn after midnight. <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> like, I still want my uh, number one. Uh, yeah, my my New York City apartment window uh, ratings report with the that great TikTok that came out with everybody watching Game of Thrones at the same time. That was the most accurate indicator of me of like, okay, Game of Thrones is winning this, but. Uh, yeah, these numbers, you know, and again, it kind of gets back to the, the Writers Guild thing of, you know, how do you even gauge any of this stuff? You know, how would you even possibly pay? Do you pay residuals on Nielsen minutes? Are you paying, you know, you know what is it? And every streamer has different policies about this stuff, you know, and then Amazon doesn't even release stream, subscriber numbers, you know, it's, it's, which is how they make money. So there's no advertising in this show. So uh, popularity is really just a metric for, I don't even I don't even know anymore. And that's I guess that's this this whole thing to your point, Tatiana. Yeah, taking a victory lap on this for something that is not quantifiable, I guess, is that's am I, am I wrong in feeling about that or right? Or common sense says otherwise, like that, you know, this this does not feel like Game of Thrones season one, two, whatever. Like mm-hmm. it it just it doesn't feel that way to me. 
Right. I guess that's that's the comp, right? Is this that's uh, we all have feelings of what Game of Thrones meant to us in the original run. And I guess is our feeling is that having that moment in the culture, I guess, is that, you know, maybe that's the yeah, like it doesn't feel zeitgeisty. Yeah. You know, it's like it's being talked about because Elon Musk is, you know, tweeting something about it. But does that mean that it's zeitgeisty? No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that may be the future, right? I mean, that may be in a, in a, in a, the the TV universe is that much more um, chaotic and and has that many more choices than it did in, in season two of the Game of Thrones on HBO. So it, we may that may be part of what we're looking at. It's just that hey, that's the way the world is. That just you know, right. it, it's yeah. rare to capture it. I mean, I'll also say that like it is a traditional thing for big companies to buy giant companies to buy kind of not profitable studios and bury their losses and eat those losses for a decade before throwing up their hands. I mean, Transamerica, Coca-Cola, I mean, this is this is normal Sony, this is sort of normal. Although Sony's, you know, still hasn't thrown up its hands but wants to. Like this is normal. And um and then they learn that this is not a great business to be in. They they, I mean, they convince themselves the there's other ways to make money and then they don't. That's the business model of Hollywood that Exactly. Every- in every billionaire's life or every CEO's mm-hmm. life, they'll have a moment where they say, you know what I should be doing? I, sh- I should be making movies. I could do this much better than. And there's people. a guy at an agency saying, yes, let of me help you can. do that. Yeah. Show us how to, you know, the. the yeah. Show First, you got to redo everything. You got to redo the, the, the studio. It's all needs to be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens. I have this. Yeah. I have this stack of scripts that's that I yeah. the, the really good stuff that no one. That yeah. there hasn't been any yeah, producer exactly. good enough yeah, right. that I could give it to, so I'm going to give you the, the, the I'm going to give you the uh, the Glengarry leads here. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's exactly right. Thank hey, God. Every by now the way, and then there is a script that's like 25, 30 years old that gets made into a movie yeah, yeah. that makes money, like The Meg a couple of years ago. That that script was like I don't know, like twenty five years old. And then there was the Will Smith movie. Gemini Man, I think it was right, called. Right. It changed yeah, titles sure. several times. Now that was not a hit, but The Meg was a huge hit internationally. You know, did like that, that script had just been sitting around on somebody's uh, studio table for a while. Yeah. Or if it's not a, the actual script, it's the it's the genre. I mean, we just we began by talking about Knives Out. It's like the astonishment on pe- people's faces in Hollywood. Like, oh, so you mean people like the idea of a. A murder mystery with a set number of suspects in a country house and a plotting <laughs> inspector. That's uh, that's outrageous. I what a brand new idea. Like actually, you know, audiences are not that different. I mean, they they're they're pickier. They have their thumb over your you know the uh, the for, fast forward button, which is you know your EKG of your career. But um, they are the same. They kind of want you know Top Gun two Maverick. As you are, but what's what's all this new again? So we will yeah. uh, go out on the classics. Um, all right, I guess uh, anything else from anybody this week? We figured, we didn't even but you mentioned Will Smith, but I guess we will. The <laughs> Apple Apple pulled Apple pulled the pulled the pin. They're going for it this year. Uh, <laughs> I don't know any thoughts on that myself, but the <laughs> interesting development to uh, they're going to go for it this year. A bad idea. Oh, okay. All right. Hey. I mean, the, the, their 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 entire Oscar campaign for that is going to be about the slap, and they're yeah. going to dra- drag it up, and they're not going to get past it during during this time. And uh, uh, you know, I have no idea if the movie's good or bad, but right, it's going to be going to be buried under under uh, 
living the, the slap. I will. He needed to get. You, past yeah. This. You never want the conversation about your movie to be about anything but the movie. And this conversation about this movie will be about not about the movie at all. It'll be entirely about the slap. The idea of going back into the Oscar race at the place where just months ago this thing happened. It's yeah. Bad idea. All right. There we have it. Uh, okay. Well, that's all for this week, everybody. We uh, remind you to subscribe to the Ankler at, at the Ankler.com. And uh, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you, Rob, for coming and joining, giving us the official Writers Guild presence <laughs> yeah. of someone who's on the inside. Uh, great to have you on board. Thanks. And we will we'll see you all uh, next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Sean. <laughs>